Hello and welcome to Fashion and Foibles. This week, Foundations and Feathers. When you think of feathers in fashion, you can't help but think of glorious plumage-adorned dresses, lavishly accessorised hats, a myriad of vibrant, lustrous colours that dance and glisten in the light. But what about the feathers you can't see? Throughout history, feathers have been a sustainable and reliable resource with many uses. For instance, if you were to hunt and kill a bird for the meat, after plucking your catch, you're left with a big old mound of feathers. And better not let all that good material go to waste. Rare feathers were prized and used as displays of wealth and authority in ancient civilizations such as the Mayan and Incan people. Whereas in ancient Rome, softer down feathers were used to stuff lavish pillows. The Vikings also did this, but it wasn't for the rich and wealthy. Using soft feathers to make comfortable headrests, much better compared to the straw ones previously used. Not to go full crazy bird lady on everyone, but this difference in feather use would have been primarily due to the difference in species across countries and regions. In colder countries like Denmark, Norway and Sweden, the birds would have had soft, downy feathers to insulate and keep them warm making them perfect for pillow making. But in hotter climates, where nearly year-round there are vibrant forests and plant life, quite a few bird species need a certain colourful pizzazz to attract the attention of a potential mate, and of course a potential hunter. So feathers have always had many different uses in ancient history, and they continue to do so, but in perhaps more ways than you would expect. Throughout the Victorian era, manufacturing became a huge part of the Industrial Revolution. Feather pillows were readily available, as well as commodities like feather dusters. But what about the unwanted feathers? Those that were rigid and too stiff for pillows, but not aesthetic enough to make a quill or adorn a hat. Was there a use for them? Yes, there certainly was. In the late 1800s, Bailing also known as whalebone, and steel boning were going out of fashion. There were growing complaints of expensive, ill-fitting garments that were quick to wear down, with boning protruding from the fabric, and sometimes it even broke. The once fashionable hourglass silhouette of the tight-lacing mid-1800s was dwindling in popularity, along with the style of corsets themselves, meaning there was an opening in the market for a new style of more sustainable, comfortable undergarment. It was Edward Warren, the owner of a general goods store in Three Oaks, Michigan, who, upon hearing the complaints of his customers about their undergarments, looked to creating a more comfortable and perhaps fashion-forward alternative to the current boning options of the time. Author of From Feathers to Fashion, Sally Helverston, mentions that Warren, in one of his buying trips to the feather duster factories in Chicago, saw that a large quantity of pointer feathers were being discarded. This was due to the fact that the feathers only had plumage on one side, therefore not suitable for feather dusters. Warren saw potential, and after some thought, he believed this incredibly cheap material could be a superior alternative to steel and whalebone. It was in 1883 that Warren's patent for feather boning was finalised, and then shortly after, the Warren Featherbone Factory opened up in Michigan. Feather boning was a huge success, reaching its peak in popularity between 1873 and 1900. 
The lightweight yet rigid quills provided a strong silhouette without adding unnecessary heaviness and discomfort. The quills did not rust nor poke through their casings like steel bones did. If the garment was close-fitting to the body, as it would be for the silhouettes of the 1880s, the natural fibres of the feather bone would have moulded the wearer's contours with the body heat, similar to baleen. However, unlike baleen, it would be more flexible and less likely to snap, giving the wearer more freedom of movement. As the fashions of the silhouettes and the materials used to create them were evolving, it was not uncommon for this new, innovating material to be spliced into existing garments. Sometimes pieces of baleen and steel were removed from a piece of clothing and replaced with feather boning. Combining this newfound boning with others was increasingly common when making new garments too. An example of possibly either of those methods was donated to the Museum Textile Services in New England. An 1895 silk wedding dress worn by opera singer Ruth Thea Burnham, a photo of which I will put on the Instagram. In the dress's bodice there are 16 pieces of boning. The front four are feather bone, and the rest baleen. The reasoning for this, as Jennifer Nason and Camille Mayers-Breeze point out, could be that the lightweight feather bone is accommodating for a more structured corset underneath. Or, in my opinion, the most likely of the two, the flexible boning at the front allowed their burnum to move, breathe, which meant she could sing on her wedding day as custom would be for a professional opera singer such as her. As the stylish silhouette of the bodice continued to develop into the smooth, curved, more rounded busts of the late 1890s and early 1900s, feather boning came in particularly handy, its lightweight properties allowing for what you might call almost cage-like structures, which protruded out from the bust line and sloped down, stopping just below the waistline. Frilly undergarments with volume and flowing blouses then hid the harsh lines of the feather bone. The bust bodice, as it came to be known, utilised all the many positives of cheap feather boning, giving the wearer comfort, movement and long-lasting sturdy garments. The feather quills that were once considered useless and discardable were now the centre foundation for the ideal fashions of the time, giving way to a whole new era of softer silhouettes. Fancy seeing the references for this episode? Maybe something ruffled your feathers and you're desperate to know more. Come on over and join me on Instagram at Fashion and Foibles Podcast or on Twitter at Eleanor Anwen. And with that said and done, until next time. <laughs>